Have you ever tried to imitate someone before? Or maybe there's some of you out there, you, you are really good at imitating some voices. You've got those people that you can imitate. Uh, I think everyone at some point in their life imitates someone. Uh, and a lot of times we imitate people that we admire. Uh, some of you may remember this. In 1991, my favorite commercial with the best song in it came out. And I had to, I read it first service. I'm like, you can't just read this song. But if you know it, you can sing along. It goes like this. Sometimes I dream that he is me. You've got to see that's how I dream to be. And it goes, boom, 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 boom. I dream I move. I dream I groove like Mike. If I could be like Mike. Anyone know that? So when I was growing up, I watched Michael Jordan all the time. I watched every game that I could watch. I put the VHS in so you could tell that's a little dated VHS. If you don't know what that is, talk to me afterwards. Uh, But, you know, hey, if I could get a hold of his greatest dunks, interviews, whatever it was, you know, I wanted to be like Mike. So I uh, tried to dribble like him between the legs. My coach would say, hey, stop doing that. You're not like Mike. Um, I would, uh, you know, when I was able to start dunking the ball, I'd I'd stick my tongue out ridiculously like Michael Jordan because I wanted to do that. I'd watch how he shot free throws, how he handled the ball, how he bounced it so many times, and I would copy that because I wanted to be like Mike. I wanted some Michael Jordan uh, Nike shoes, and the first ones that came out, I'm like, ah, they're a little expensive. So I worked the next summer, and I'm like, okay, oh, the second series are expensive. But I found a deal. I could get the first series, two pairs for the price of one. So I got the red pair, and I got the blue pair, and I was pretty excited about that but they didn't make me jump any higher. But have you seen children imitate uh, adults before or children imitate others? Saw this last week, uh, a, a child who was sitting with a magazine and flipping the pages with his left hand, but he kept licking his right fingers. So he's seen someone do something there and he's trying to imitate, not realizing why do you lick your fingers and flip the pages there. I read this quote this week that it says this, Children have never been good at listening to their elders, but they have never failed to imitate them. But I remember trying, I mean, I would go out and shoot baskets, just trying to do anything that I saw Michael Jordan do, to the point where I would have dreams that I was playing on the Chicago Bulls, and I got, Taylor, get in, you know, I was like, hey, that's awesome. Today, as we look at the passage of Scripture, we're called to imitate. And we're called to imitate God. We're called to invest anything and everything knowing who God is so that we can imitate God. And it's of great importance. If you're a believer, this, will, this is for you in one sense because he's writing it to Christians. If you're not a believer, I pray that you understand the love of God today, that God saves you. But if you are a believer, here's the big idea this morning that is call on your heart as a follower of Christ is this, the big idea. Walking in the love of Christ is a call to live like Christ. Walking in the love of Christ is a call to live like Christ. Would you look at Ephesians chapter 5 with me, verses 1 through 7. It says this, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. 
But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not be not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetousness, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. The word of God. Father, we ask this morning that you would show us your grace and mercy through your word. I pray that you would help us understand how great that you love us and how high a calling that you have for us to imitate you. Father, let us be people who are known for the love of Christ in our lives. And Father, I pray that for any who come this morning and to, uh, to read through these things that are heavy passages this morning and to feel any guilt or shame, I pray that you would remove that from them and that you would show them how much you love them. Father, would you bless the reading and the preaching of the word in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you look at the text this morning, we're going to look at verse 1, and there's a call to imitate God. If you were not here last week, uh, he, in, in this chapter 5, he begins and says, Therefore, it's a point back to what we ended in verse 32 last week. 32 of chapter 4, it says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. And now he says, In light of that, or therefore, be imitators of God. The word imitator there in its original language is where we get our English word mimic or to copy someone or to be an actor who impersonates another. If you're a believer, you have a great and high calling to be an imitator of God. And if you look at verse 32, we see some of those characteristics that we see in God and that's what we are to imitate. And the greatest one is love, which he writes of today, that we're to walk in love and we're to imitate the love of Christ. And some of you may at times think that this is something that is impossible. I see these glorious characteristics of God, but there's no way that I live my life that way. Well, you need to be reminded that by the power of God, the Holy Spirit, God Almighty, dwells in the life of the believer and can and does empower us to walk in love and to walk in these characteristics of God and apply them in our life. But here's something that you need to take note of this morning. I mean, this is so important, and I, maybe I mention it every single week to you. There is no way that you can imitate God if you don't know him. How are you to imitate God's characteristics if you don't know what they are? And what I mean by that, or let me ask you this question, how do we know what God's characteristics are? There it is. Read the Bible. Read the Word of God. Probably one of the greatest challenges for many believers is just to open the Word, turn it on on your phone or, 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 or tablet or whatever, and read the Word of God because as we read God's Word and the Holy Spirit opens our eyes, we grow in our understanding of who God is, how He loves us, how He's our great Heavenly Father, what He's done for us. We read that He's kind and tender-hearted and he's forgiving and that's what God calls us to imitate 
And so I would say, just as I would spend hours watching a basketball player and how he moved on the court, are we committed to spend hours reading God's word so that we know how to imitate him and walk in his ways? It says, therefore, be imitators of God as what in verse 1? What's it say there in the text? Be, therefore, be imitators of God as what? Beloved what? Children. You might say, well, that sounds familiar. We'll go back to our study in chapter 1 of Ephesians, verse 5. It says, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. If you don't know this, let me tell you or remind you, according to the word of God, when he saves us, God adopts us. We who are sinners, who are enemies of God, he actually adopts us as his children when he saves us from our sins. And so we pray, as Jesus directed the disciples, we pray to our heavenly father. As for some of you, you think of God and you want to say, hey, I love God. And I worship him, but I can't call him father because you've been affected by the relationships of your earthly father or lack thereof. Well, you need to understand that when we read about our heavenly father and the characteristics of our heavenly father is so different than even the best earthly father that walks this planet. Because God is perfect and he's holy and he's righteous and he's loving and he's given himself for you. That is our Heavenly Father. And the reason why we can call Him our Heavenly Father and why we are children is because He's adopted us. And if you look back at chapter 4, as we saw last week, in verse 24, it points out to us that, that God has created us after His likeness when He's adopted us in true righteousness and holiness. And if I could say anything to you this morning, if you're a believer, righteousness and holiness, write it down. Put it down somewhere, something to remind yourself, because the Christian has been given the righteousness of Christ, and you are holy. Yet, when we sin, we struggle to believe that. If you're not a Christian this morning, God can make you holy and give you the righteousness of Christ when you believe in him as Lord and Savior. But 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 says this, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of of God. It's important if we're going to walk in love and walk in the love of Christ today to understand our Heavenly Father and being a child of His that He has shown us great love and He has poured out His love and therefore we have been set apart from the world. Turn to Romans chapter 8. Some of you have this memorized, verse 29 and 30, but it's important before we go any farther in Ephesians to Understand this, that once you're adopted, you are, in a sense, taken out of the world. And we are called as people to not walk and live like the rest of the world. Romans chapter 8, verses 29 and 30. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also 
glorified. You see, when God changes us and makes us his children, he is changing our hearts that we would be conformed to the, to, to the likeness of Christ, to be a person who, uh, again, imitates God and walks in the love of Christ. And therefore, as we seek to imitate God, the pattern for us to follow is Jesus Christ. Look at verse 2, the second point is that we are to walk not just like Christ, but we're to walk like Christ loved. Verse 2, and walk in love. Uh, if you were here last week, we were talking about walking in holiness, and here walking in love, we're going to see in the next few weeks, uh, the Apostle Paul continues to use this term, walk in this way, walk in this way, walk in this way. And the word walk there means just your behavior, the way that you live, but it's a picture of continuous daily living in the scope here of God's love for us. And so that walk begins when you place your faith in Jesus Christ alone as your Savior. You're given a new heart, a new nature. The old is gone, and you begin to walk in love. The word that's used here, there's a few words for love in the New Testament. The one here is this word agape, which you may have heard before, but it's this term meaning, uh, really we could look to the cross, it's God's love displayed at the cross, that Jesus gave himself up for our good, and it's vastly different than the love of the world. So if you think of the love of Christ, this agape love, is that Christ loves you and it doesn't depend on your value. It doesn't depend on your response to God. He just loves you unconditionally. But yet the world's love is so different. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 is a summary of this great love that we're to walk in. It says in Romans 5 verse 8, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In other places, it talks about while we were enemies of God. I mean, who is going to go and die for their enemy because they love their enemy? But while we are in our sin, while we are wicked, sinful people, enemies of God, God loved us greatly that he would dare Give his son Jesus who gave up his life for us. That's the love of God and that's the love that you and I are called to walk in. We're like, wow, how is that possible? It's not. It's not possible in anything that we can do in our human mind or in our human ability. It's only for the person who's been saved and the Holy Spirit of God Almighty dwelling in us, empowering us to actually love God and love other people's people as he's called us to do. But Jesus has freely loved us uh, by taking our sin up on the cross. Second Corinthians chapter five says that he became sin. And God poured out his wrath on the Son because of his great love for you. And a good question or or maybe a, a good thing to think about is how do you know when you're walking in the love of Christ? The way that you know that you are walking in the love of Christ is when the things that you do and the choices you make are guided by the motivation of the love of Christ. That the things that you do in life, the things that you say, the choices you make, when Jesus' love is the reason for it, you know 
you're walking in the love of Christ. And church, we need to pray that each of us are doing that today. And so it says, look at our text here in Ephesians 5, verse 2, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, or instead of us, or in our place, that Jesus Christ is that substitute, the sacrifice that was to be made for sin. He became the sacrifice. And so Jesus' love for us is self-sacrificing. He humbled himself And it's the way that we are to love other people, to humble ourselves, to be self-sacrificing people that love others. And one of the things that I encourage you to think about is when you look at the cross and you think about the love of Jesus Christ for you, think about how much it cost him. Think about how much it cost Jesus Think about the cost of the Heavenly Father to send His Son, perfect, holy, blameless, to take our sin and die on the cross, to give up His life. Jesus Christ paid a huge cost that we could be saved and know the love of God. John chapter 15, Jesus states this in verses 12 through 14. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command you. The love of Christ, someone giving up their life for someone that they care for, someone that they love. And that's the type of love that we're called to walk in. Again, which sometimes seems so impossible in this world but it is possible by the love of Christ through the Holy Spirit working in us. But in that passage I just read in John 15, and looking to the cross, we need to be reminded of forgiveness. We sinful people against God, that he forgave us, and an expression in one way of how we love other people is to forgive them. The hard part, though, is for many of us, when we get hurt deeply, we don't want to forgive, right? Sometimes we categorize. I can forgive these people, but this person. Pastor, no way. You don't know what this person did. I can't forgive that person. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8, Peter writes, Keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers the multitude of sin. And I think what happens when we refuse to forgive someone as Christ has forgiven us. What we're doing before the world is we're taking the cross and dragging it through the mud. Jesus Christ has forgiven us so greatly and he's called us to forgive others the same. And that may be hard for you this morning. And if that is, you need to say, Holy Spirit, I don't know how to forgive that person or those people. I need the guidance. I need the help. I need the strength because I don't love those people. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would flood your heart with the love of Christ and be reminded of the cross and forgiveness that you've received, that you would forgive them. In verse 2, though, it says this offering that Christ gave of himself at the cross was a fragrant 
offering, a sacrifice to God. I know that with my family, sometimes we'll go in a store and they've got the candle aisle. I love going down the candle aisle and picking out the ones that smell like fruit and just sit there and it's like, man, oh, it smells so good. And then you get to those other ones, it's like, oh man, put that one back or whatever. And we're kind of laughing about it or whatever. But think about the things that smell good to you. I love the smell of barbecue. Yesterday, some, some friends and I, we were out fishing, and uh, aside by the river, uh, uh, we, there was a fire going, and I smelled the smoke when I was walking, I was like, it smelled good. But the best is smoke smell and bacon smell put together. Smoked bacon, man, that is a good thing. That is a pleasing aroma, at least to my nose. But think about things that smell horrible. You grab that milk that's been sitting there too long, you check it, you're like, oh man, the rotten milk, that, that is bad. Or if you stop here at the stoplight over here at Mullen and you smell the sewer smell coming through, you know, it's like there's some things that smell horrible. But Christ's sacrifice and love for you was a pleasing aroma to our Heavenly Father. And it makes the connection back to the Old Testament when many times we skip past Leviticus because it's got all these laws. But there's a bunch of instructions about sacrifices that the priests did and how they were supposed to. And it talked about how as those sacrifices were made, there was a pleasing aroma to God the Father. Therefore, when we walk in love as Christ loved, we can be a pleasant aroma to God. And so I ask you this morning, how do you smell? Ask yourself that. How is my walking in love smelling to God today? Because if you go back to chapter 4 last week, we saw that you can grieve the Holy Spirit. A Christian can grieve the Holy Spirit by sinning and disobeying God. And we looked at that going, hey, we want to walk in holiness and not disobey How is your walk of love towards God and others? Is it a pleasant aroma to our Heavenly Father? John chapter 17. Jesus is praying and he's praying to the Heavenly Father and disciples are with him. And John chapter 17, this prayer, he prays this in verses 14 through 17. He says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world. Just as I am not of the world, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And I read that and emphasize, he repeats it twice, not of the world. And he's not of the world and his followers are not of the world because you need to understand the distinction between being a part of the world and being not of the world and yet being a people that lives and walks in this world today. And so that helps us when we go to verses 3 through 7. Let's look at the third point here. Walking like the world has disastrous results. You need to know the difference between being in the world and not being in the world. And so we have this text here in verse 3. Paul addresses now the Christian's life or their conduct and their speech. Probably two things we really don't want to join together to talk about this morning, right? Let's just go back to adoption. Let's go back to our loving Heavenly Father. Let's go back to the cross. Don't talk about how I'm acting and don't talk about how I'm talking, right? 
Because what happens is, as a Christian, we are grieved even in our spirit, and there's sometimes guilt and shame over sin in our lives, and that's a hard thing that we don't want to deal with, but yet God's called us to do that. One thing to point out as we've talked about the love of Christ and how Christ's love is self-sacrificial. He's given himself for us. We need to understand that the world's love is false. It's a scam. It's fake. The world's love is so different and it has these boundaries in a sense and it's self-centered and the world's love is based on feelings. It's based on expectations. The world's love is, I will love you if you Love me. And Jesus says to that in Matthew chapter 5, verse 46, he says, If you love those who love you, what reward do you have? There's a great difference, a vast difference between the love of Christ and the love of the world that the world would promote for you and I to strive after And so Paul here makes this distinction. Let's look at verse 3. He begins with a list here. He says this. He says, hey, let's address our conduct as Christians. Again, he's writing Christians. If he was writing to non-Christians, this would be, I mean, this is just natural life for them. But for a Christian, he says, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named, uttered, mentioned among you as is proper among the saints. So you have these three that he lists here. Sexual immorality refers to all sexual sin against God and against the love of God. He says impurity, which is connected to this in some senses, and it refers to anything that's unclean or filthy. Specifically, Jesus uses the word in Matthew 23 to talk about a dead, decaying body in the tomb. But then he says covetousness, and you go, okay, greed, But in the context here is this covetousness or this greed for living more immoral life or being more impure. And he's like, that's not even to be named or uttered about any Christian at all. That shouldn't even be a discussion topic for the church. But he addresses it because those are realities. You go to 1 Corinthians and the letter that he writes to the church there is the church, which is... God's church was behaving like the rest of the world. And Paul there was addressing how they should live and how they should act. And the same here with the church of Ephesus. He's reminding them walking in the love of Christ is different than walking in the love of the world. You are set apart. You are holy because God is holy. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 14 through 16. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 through 16. And I read this because you need to be reminded of this as a believer when you are dealing with falling into sin. You need to be reminded of this. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14 through 16. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, the old self. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct since it is written you shall be holy for I am holy and some of you don't feel holy 
because you struggle with falling into sin, and what happens is you believe the lies of Satan, you believe the lies of your old self saying, God doesn't love you, look at what you did this week. And so you hang your head, and you come into church, and you hope that you're going to get something so that it's going to cheer you back up and go, oh yes, Jesus loves me. Do not forget that when God saves you, you are clothed with the righteousness of Jesus. So then he adopts you and he sees you and he says, that's my son, that's my daughter. And he sees you as if you never sinned. Isn't that amazing? It's hard to think about, isn't it at times? But God's word also says, as a believer, you are holy and a title that's given to believers is saints. Some of you are like, I can't call someone a saint. They're not a statue. They're not uh, being remembered or memorialized or whatever. No, a saint is a term for a Christian, a holy one, someone set apart. Therefore, if you're here this morning and you are a believer in Christ and you are down in the dumps because you're struggling in areas of sin, remember that God has clothed you with his righteousness and he's made you holy. Now, here's the distinction. Here's what you need to know. There is a difference, as he says here, because the end of our passage is like, oh, wow, that's kind of scary there, between a believer and a non-believer. A believer, according to 1 John, still will battle with sin until the day that we're with God and glorified and we're made perfect. The person who's not a believer is going to constantly, habitually practice sin. So if you're a new believer, God is going to continue to grow you in the faith. And as you grow in the faith, you're going to hate sin more and more. Things that you dealt with 10 years ago are not going to be there anymore. But there's other areas of sin to deal with. But he's going to bring you through that process. The person who's not a Christian is not going to change that. They may think, oh, I'm going to make some better moral decisions. But they're going to continue to habitually practice sin as their lifestyle And the reason why we need to take note of these this morning, what he reminds the believers of, is that sin, living in the world in these ways, bring disaster in life, even for Christians. And what I mean by is not eternal disaster for the Christian, but some of you could get up and stand up here right now and tell us, as a Christian, in areas that you sinned, even in sexual immorality as an example, it led to divorce, it led to children uh, being hurt, it led to all kinds of stuff, people losing jobs. You could get up and testify and say, the result of my sin was this. And so it's a serious thing for us to pay attention to. And this is regarding conduct. But look at what else he lists here. Our speech. Some of you are like, hey, I'm good with the conduct part, but man, don't talk about what I say. Filthiness. It means obscenity, shameless, immoral, degrading talk. Foolish talk. It means to be stupid, idle talk. Saying things that are just godless, things without any wisdom. Or how about crude joking? The, the, you know, some of you may be the best sarcastic, snide remark person in the room, and you hear that thing, it's like you can flip that on a person in a, min- in a minute, you know? It's like, what are the words that come out of the mouths of a person who's walking in the love of Christ? This is what he challenges us to. And yet our words sometimes are, are, are it's the hardest challenge. And we can be the most negative people, but yet, and, and let these things just come out. But here he's like, hey, 
Don't have any filthiness. Don't have any foolish talk. Don't have this crude or coarse joking because in Matthew 12, there's a serious passage here. Matthew chapter 12, verse 33 through 37 says, I tell you on, that, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. I know I've said a lot of careless words in my life. It says, for by your words you will be justified and by your words you will be condemned. Our words are so important because our words and our conduct are outward evidence of where our heart is inside. How are you walking in the love of Christ? How is the world seeing your conduct? And how is the world hearing what you are saying? How are Christians observing your life? And what are they hearing? Paul says there shouldn't be any of this in our life. Instead, in verse 4, what does it say that the Christians to do? What's it say in verse 4? Back in Ephesians 5. But instead, do what? I kind of heard you. What is that? Give thanksgiving. Some of you need to give thanks this morning, and you didn't have a good week. You need to do what I do sometimes is grab a pad of paper and just start writing down a list what you're thankful for. And I don't know how many times this happened. I'll write down eight or nine, ten things right off. And it's like, just sit there. And sometimes it's like, okay, I'm done. I made the list. No, sit there and continue to think about what are you thankful for? And I'll tell you this. God will flood your heart and remind you of so many things that you'll run out of room. Being thankful with other believers instead of filthiness, foolish talk, crude joking. Thankfulness points us back to the cross and back to the love of Christ for us. It goes on in verse 5. Again, Paul, if you don't know, he spent a few years with this church that he wrote to. So he's reminding them in a lot of this letter things he taught them. And here he says, for you, may be sure of this. He said, there's no doubt here. You know the truth here. He says in verse 5 that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. He, there in verse 5, he uses the three, same three words he used, forms of the word that he used in verse 3. But he says, covetous, that is of an idolater, is this picture of a habitual practice. You see, God has made all of us to worship. We either worship God Almighty or we worship something else in this world. And you may think that an idol is some piece of wood that you see some person somewhere in this world worshiping or a statue. But no, it could be anything and everything in our culture that the world would have you be distracted by that you'd commit your time and energy and love to. So what are the idols in our life that we need to tear down, that we need to ask God to destroy and remove he says there in verse 5 that anyone or everyone who practices habitually those things, an idolater has no what in verse 5? No inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. And this is at times when the world gets upset with the church because you can't tell me. God loves, I believe in God's love, but you can't tell me that I'm going to go to hell because of my sin. Especially if you speak about any type of sexual immorality at all. And so I appreciate what Paul writes in other passages, specifically in Galatians chapter 5, because listen to the list 
of things that he says regarding people who practice these things and will not inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 19, now the works of the flesh are evidence. This is Galatians 5, verses 19 through 21. Sexual immorality, impurity, there they are from what we're, our text today, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the things like these. I mean, there's a whole list. You name the sin, it's involved in this. He says, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So give me your eyes for a minute. If you're here this morning and you're living in a life that you're practicing habitually these things, then that may be why you ask the question, am I a Christian this morning? Because the person who lives in that life is an idolater and they don't love Jesus. They don't walk in his love. But if you are a believer and you've come to faith in him and you still at times struggle with sin and you're still battling through it, you go read Ephesians 6 about putting on the armor of God and how to stand in that. But God's still working in your life. There's a vast difference between the person who's walking in the love of Christ and the person who's walking in the world. But the reality of God's word is this. Every single person has an inheritance in eternity. It's either the inheritance of the kingdom of God being with Christ for eternity, or it's the inheritance of the kingdom of hell, separated from the God who's given you life and breath right now. It's one of those two. So in verse 6 and 7, he says, let no one deceive you with empty words. Don't believe the lies of the world. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. Again, we want to be people who are walking in the love of Christ, who are not grieving the Holy Spirit, that our life would be a pleasant aroma to our Heavenly Father. And if you're here this morning, two things. If you're not a believer, I pray that you know the love of Christ, that Jesus Christ died for you in your place for your sins. He loves you so greatly. You have no clue how much he loves you. And he offers forgiveness. And he says, simply believe in me. I died for you. I rose again. He said, you'll be saved. And if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, you're a brother or a sister of mine in Christ, I'm so glad you're here. And I pray that you would know this morning that in Heavenly Father's eyes, you are righteous and you are holy. You are a saint set apart you're part of God's family. And no matter what type of sin or struggle you may be battling, the Holy Spirit can enable you to set you free because that is what we find in Jesus Christ, freedom and forgiveness of our sins. Father, I pray that as we prepare and take a moment to take a piece of bread, to take a cup together, Father, we ask that 
this morning, we would be reminded of the love of Christ and be reminded of how greatly you love us. Father, for those who are far from you, I pray that today would be the day of salvation for them. Holy Spirit, would you open their eyes to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I pray that you would uh, give them faith to believe in you this morning and that you would show them your forgiveness. And Father, for those who are here, who are Christians who are walking in the love of Christ, I pray that you would work on their hearts this morning in the sense of reminding them of their value and worth in Christ and that you love them and that you've already forgiven them at the cross. Father, may we be people who are empowered by your spirit to love you and to love others. We ask this in Jesus' name.